Hello and welcome to the Bremner Boulevard Sports Podcast. I am your co-host, Donald Higney, always with my other co-host, Trevor Popoff. Trevor, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good, man. I'm doing pretty good. We just wanted to say Donald's, Donald's come with a statement here today. Um, it comes from the both of us. Um, we're recording this on the day normally known as Canada Day, um, but we're not celebrating today, and uh, Donald will tell you why. So obviously, uh, as Canadians, uh, we have seen the continued discovery of unmarked graves by residential schools all over Canada. And obviously, these are not the only graves on Canadian soil. These are the ones that just have been discovered in the past you know, couple of weeks. One was discovered yesterday. We just wanted to say really quickly that although Canada has done a lot of great things and have served a lot of people within its borders and outside of Outside of its borders, uh, you know, the continued erasure of history uh, cannot be tolerated. And today we're thinking about how Canada has not served and how it has actively destroyed uh, Indigenous communities in Canada. So we just wanted to make that really clear from the beginning. All right. And now to some sports, not the greatest transition in the world, but, you know, we do the best that we can in the circumstances that are present. Let's talk about the Blue Jays, Trevor. Uh, the vibes are a lot better right now. Oh, man. What a, what a change a week can make. A great week of play from the Jays. Uh, we made another move. Adam Simber and Corey Dickerson coming over from Miami for Joe Panic and a pitching prospect. The offense is looking great. The pitching's been better. I, I just want to talk about the trade a little bit. I think um, this trade was a big W for our team. Adam Simber's a great reliever, bit of a bit of an unorthodox guy, a weird delivery, a soft tosser, uh, kind of goes against a lot of what the game is transitioned to. But he's a proven guy. He's done it before. He's a vet. He can help this bullpen a lot. Corey Dickerson is definitely an upgrade over Joe Panic. We're talking about a guy who's hit 300 a couple times in full seasons. So I know we don't need an outfielder, and that's something that I've I've seen a lot of people saying, like, why do we get another outfielder? But you got to realize that he's just going to be a bench bat. He's going to be a bat that comes into the game who can play a little defense. Um, maybe, you know, pinch hit for Lourdes, pinch hit for Teoscar, pinch hit for Randall. He's, he's, he's akin to the Bills getting Mitchell Trubisky, right? It's just a nice bench upgrade. A guy who can come off the bench and get a hit for you. I like the Bills comparison. But, yeah, this trade is more about Simber than it is about Dickerson because yeah. – uh, even though I think the Jays are paying part of his salary, but not the full salary. But this trade is about another reliever, another bullpen arm, rather than Dickerson, even though Dickerson is probably the bigger name. When I first saw the trade, I was like, oh, no, we're giving up panic. And then I saw his age. He's like 30. I'm like, now I don't feel like as bad. But who kind of steps into that panic role? Uh, he's first base, right? Uh, panic's played a little. He's played second. He's played third. He's played short. He's played all over the infield. So, um, so who do you think just kind of steps into the, uh, into the starting lineup then? That's a good question. I mean, Panic's been primarily a bench piece. So I think Dickerson, I mean, obviously, while he can't play some one-for-one on defense, he's going to replace where, where Panic kind of fit in as a, as a pinch hit in the lineup. When you're talking about infield, it's interesting that we lost an infielder. I think that's really interesting because if you look at our prospects, right, we have Groshans, who's an infielder. We have... Other guys coming up. I just wanted to check one thing. Yeah, Gabriel Moreno. That's who I want to look at. Gabriel Moreno is tearing up the minor leagues right now with Double A New Hampshire. He's hitting 373. Um, he's likely probably he could play catcher, but 
as we've seen with a ton of other prospects, Bryce Harper came up as a catcher. These guys who can really hit do not stay at catcher. And I think the natural transition would be to the infield. So I think clearing out that infield spot is interesting because like you said, Joe Panic was getting on. Joe Panic's a vet. Joe Panic also wants to play and he's going to play pretty much every day in Miami. Now he's going to have a much bigger role there. So I think this was a real win-win trade for both teams and both players involved, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the trade. Like I said, definitely just for the Simber part of it, just like having another mm-hmm. bullpen arm is going to help so much, but we don't think this is the only bullpen move that they're going to make. Uh, there's rumors that the Jays are interested in Richard Rodriguez. What do you think he adds to this team? Richard Rodriguez would be perfect for this team. I think, I think he's uh controllable he's closing games right now for the pirates which is really important so he's he's being put in their highest leverage situations as as infrequent as those might be in pittsburgh but he is being put into high leverage situations he's young he's you know he i don't think he would close for us he might close this year a couple games here and there uh definitely not next year when kirby yates comes back but i think i think richard rodriguez would be perfect another name we talked about last week was ian kennedy that that's Ian Kennedy is a more like if you're trying to win now type of thing. Richard Rodriguez is, is a guy who would, you know, be under contract for a few years. So I think Richard Rodriguez would be perfect, but we're certainly not going to be the only team lining up for him. No, definitely not. I'm just searching up the age really quick. Yeah. Ian Kennedy is definitely a win now move just because of his mm-hmm. age. He's yeah. 36 and Richard uh, Rodriguez is a little younger. He's 31. So uh, I, I probably lean Rodriguez. Because 31, you know, there's still years left. So I think he kind of still fits the timeline as in like another vet pitcher who kind of knows what he's up to, even though he he hasn't really played like a ton of games. Just the age and like the experience that he would provide would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Let's kind of look forward a little bit. We got six games against the Rays who still look like world beaters. What are you looking for in this series? I want I want four from those six. I think that's that's the number that we want to hit. Um, the Rays have traditionally been that team that, that just knows how to beat us. Um, I believe at least there's definitely one of those series is at home. Um, might even be both if I remember correctly, but yeah, you, you just want to have four of those games before you go into the break. You want to go into the break feeling good. I know it's probably not going to be break for a lot of our players. Cause we could have as many as five players in the all-star game. Uh, even a few more, if you count pitchers. So that's crazy. Um, bro buck martinez keeps oh my goodness dude the last game i swear every single inning buck martinez was telling people to vote and i'm kind of like do you even want to vote because i just want our guys to chill out and then come back rested man like i don't need us going to colorado like swinging for the fences in the home run derby or whatever i mean that's the thing about the home run derby man it messes up your swing like vlad came back from the home run derby and he was not the same like a couple guys have had that happen like Pete Alonso, who won it last year, has hit like, I think like 10 or 12 home runs this year. Like it, it I'm not going to say that was why, but the home run derby traditionally does mess up your swing. So I'm glad we're, I don't think any Jays are competing in that. But yeah, I think, I think we just want to go into the break feeling good with four, four wins against the Rays or more. And uh, yeah, we want to come out of that break feeling good because then it's, then it's the sprint to the finish. Exactly. And uh, the first series is uh, in Buffalo and then the second series is down in Tampa. Okay, perfect. Um, I was going to say, because this kind of this kind of leads into something that we talked about later with a special guest. But uh, I saw the, the Blue Jays teamed up with the Padres and they yeah. had like the hashtag going on Twitter with the Padres. Mm-hmm. Why? 
Why? Because also it was like five Blue Jays and Tatis. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of sad. Not not even Machado. You can't even get Machado. So Bro, Machado's Machado's not doing anything but the bare minimum at his job. We know that. Um, yeah. bro, the Padres are a fun team. They're kind of like the Jays of the National League in a way. How they're how they're so young and exciting. Um, they're doing a little bit more winning than us though, which I'm a little jealous about. But no, I like it. I really like the collab. Um, two teams that aren't, you know, going to compete unless we play in the World Series. So I feel, uh, I feel like that's a pretty safe collab, unlike Maple Leafs Canadians. Yeah. Uh, stay tuned for that conversation. But yeah, that's a that's an interesting point because I like I like what the Padres are doing as well, and I like I kind of like the uh, what they have going on, especially with Tatis. I am. I wouldn't say I'm a Manny Machado fan, but I want to see him do well, but also I don't want to see him do the bare minimum because when the Dodgers got him, I was like, oh, that's a big move, and then they kind of crapped the bed a little bit. But, you know, they, they got their World Series in the end, so mm-hmm. it's okay. Um, moving on to Tia. I don't, I don't have a transition for that at all. Um, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> moving on to TSC, we're not good. We're not good right now. The latest loss has spurned us to talk about this team because we lost two nothing to Cincinnati and that's pretty unacceptable. I think we can see a goal in the first two minutes, if I'm not mistaken, to one of the worst teams in MLS. And then we couldn't find a way past them after that. This team is, it's, it's an interesting mess because we've lost, I believe, what did I say here? We've lost seven of our last 10 games. We have one of the highest paid rosters in the league if not the highest paid because the MLS does their salaries weird and they don't release them necessarily at the start of the year but what we're rumored to be one of the highest paid teams in the league uh we haven't seen anything from Josie Altador this year sixth highest paid player in the league uh Jefferson Soteldo is still at Copa America with Venezuela it's you you can make excuses but this is just a really bad start so my question is, is this a Chris Armas problem? Because he had a thing mm. with Josie Altazor that we didn't touch on on the podcast. We meant to. Totally forgot about that. But him and Altazor have been kind of a little testy-testy since mm. he's been here. Is this his fault? Or is this more of a, or is, or is this more of a, like, the core is getting older. It's time to not blow it up, but supplement yeah. it or retool it. Yeah, I, I think it's more that, I mean... Altidore's relationship with TFC is kind of has always been kind of weird. I mean, it's it's also notable that he doesn't train with the team. He trains with his own doctors. Um, and that's because of injury history and, and and perceived mishandlings of injury that he's seen by by team doctors. So as much as he like loves playing here, which he totally does, he loves the fans, he loves the city. He doesn't really like the club, it feels like. But he any any of course he likes his teammates. I mean, Michael Bradley is a long time national team teammate, um, Ayo Akinola, nothing but positive things that he said about him. So it's, in, it's a weird balance with Altidore. Um, but yeah, I think it is kind of this core getting older, Bradley and Altidore. I mean, Bradley's going to give you, you know, 90 minutes every time out um, just because that's kind of, you know, he's, he's one of like the toughest players of all time. Um, Altidore is tough too, of course, but he's just had really bad luck with injuries recently. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's, it's tough because we, I think, Altador is in the last year of his deal. I believe he signed an extension in 2019, a three-year extension. So maybe he has actually, no, you'd have one year, one more year left. Um, but I think Soteldo is that kind of youngish supplement. Pozuelo's a young guy. 
So when those guys get back, that's what we need to see. When we're at full strength, we, that's when we need to evaluate this team. Give them five games at full strength with Soteldo, Pozuelo, um, hopefully Altador and Bradley. See what they can do. If it's not any better, then you got to make some changes. Mm-hmm, exactly. And even, uh, even if they can't stay healthy, even if you're waiting for that five-game stretch, and we're using just five games, it's just like an arbitrary number. That kind of tells you what it is with this team at this point. It's just like the players that you have on this team just can't stay healthy. So is that, you know, like, is that like a front office shakeup or like a medical staff shakeup, or do you try to get, you know, healthier players? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's been a bit of a brain drain at TFC, Bezbachenko, um, Vanny have, have left the team. Those are, those are the true architects of this team. And now you've got Armas who's come in and, and truly didn't build this. So this isn't, this isn't his team by any means. So he's, he's still working with parts that maybe wouldn't necessarily suit what he wants to do exactly. So, but, but I mean, with that being said, the talent is on the roster to be really good and they're paid like it. So you're expecting more from this team down the road when they get healthy. Exactly. Yeah, we're trying to, like, we've kind of seen what a Chris Armas team is like with the Red Bulls, mm-hmm. but he still hasn't really had his time to really bring it here in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. We are now joined by one of the co-hosts of the two-on-one podcast, Adam Fluje. Adam, how are you this morning? I'm good, fellas. Thank you for having me on. This is exciting, and also, I am super nervous. Well, how, have you been? Have you been a guest on a podcast before? Is this another Alex situation? So, okay, Alex is misremembering because when I got my jaw surgery last year in the middle of the would have been the weird summer bubble playoffs, him and Daniel were asked to come on like this weird Sabers podcast. So, so he's misremembering these, but this is the first time I've been asked on on a podcast. So it's it's unfamiliar territory. Well. Let's hope we can guide you through this. Before we talk, I was listening to one of your episodes and you and uh, Alex and Daniel were going into the origins of your name. Do you want to break out the origin story of your name? Of my name? Yeah, your last name in particular. Wow. So it's, well, it's, it's Egyptian, right? It's really weird because I'm, I'm English. But it's like, listen... You get it pronounced a lot of weird different ways. And the only, what's funny is the only pronounced it right in Quebec because like, I don't know what it is. I think it's the E-H because like, obviously like the way you would pronounce it in French is there's an A in it, but everyone else just doesn't know how to pronounce my last name because it's my, my stepdad used to coach like triple A hockey in that. And like, you get like Flugia, like Flugia. It's the weirdest thing. I don't know what it is, but it's part of the struggle of having a weird last name. And like, not to mention, you look at everyone else on the podcast, like Daniel's Centeno, it's easy. Alex is Hanimian. And when, like, when you have like an H and A, a Y and I all next to each other, it just gets bumbled, man. It's not fun. Yeah. You never know, like, especially when it's like multiple vowels, you never know like which way it can be pronounced, but you kind of slipped it in there. You're from Montreal. Obviously this is a Toronto podcast. Uh, I'm sure you have certain things that you would like to say. So I'm going to give you the four and I'm going to let you say these things. First off, I think it's really brave of both of you. Like, again, the Toronto-based podcast here, centered one as well, to bring out a Habs fan in the middle of the playoffs. Like, this is, it is brave of you. No, it's, you know, it's been magical, man. I remember going into that series versus Toronto. Like, I had Montreal in six. Like, it's in my bracket and everything. 
from the beginning of the season, I had faith in the Habs. And even the big problem is they're a team that's obviously built for the playoffs. It's just their regular season game was so abysmal and so different from when we have now for the Habs that you just didn't know what you're expecting. And it's weird. You didn't know what was going to happen in the Leafs series because for the first time all year, Montreal had practice time going into it, which I think this year, I think a lot of people have gained more respect for practice time with how crazy the schedules have been. But what's weird about that series too is if you look as early as game one, Montreal came out rocking in every single one, like before the every single game, I should say, even before John Tavares got hurt, Montreal were completely controlling that game. It was just, they made the adjustments. Um, I think that Sheldon Keefe got out coached. Obviously it doesn't help when your big guys don't produce, but I'm, that's been talked to death in Toronto, but I'm not going to brag too much about it because there's still ways to go, but you know, again, it's brave of you to have me on. I feel like, like, obviously, there's a, there's a pool of us journalism students. I think we all kind of listen to each other. And I feel like you guys are going to get some messages after this. Like, what are we doing here, lads? Are we turning cheek a little here? Or? Yeah. Hey, uh, we're, we're breaking barriers. It's, it's, it's never been done before. We're breaking down walls. So um, yeah. we're ecstatic to have you here. Exactly. Yeah. I, can, I can already imagine one message in particular. We will not say from who, but we all know. Um. So, ta- so everything that you have said from your perspective and how it has played out is true for the most part. Yeah, I, I know you and Laura and Will all had the Canadians go into beating the Leafs, and we all, we all, the rest of us, all me and the rest of your hosts and Mike and picked the Leafs going farther. I think what I can say with hindsight 2020 and what resonates the most is that the regular season for the Canadians was just like way overlooked and it didn't really matter but when it came to time to play when it counted they really showed like what this team is made of and then it's just the opposite with the Leafs where like they kind of blow past the regular season in the moment they hit the playoffs this team just isn't well equipped to play playoff hockey. You know, we had, when we had Laura Kuypers on, I remember she joked, I just don't have faith in the Leafs of the playoff team. You know, it's, is it bad what happened with them? Well, obviously, yeah. Um, is it disappointing what happened with Marner in that? Yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm, I'm on the, the plane of, you can't trade them. Because it just, there is so much proof right now that you don't trade those big guys, right? Like, and we can look at Tampa, like these are this is a team that in twenty I want to say it was twenty fifteen they lost in the Cup final Chicago and the other was the year Ben Bishop had like half a groin and Tyler Johnson had lost his wrist it was insane like the Caps in that like I know a lot of people will say well the Leafs haven't won around yeah but it'll come you just have to get to that point when you realize how to play playoff hockey it's it's not like there's a player out there who can adjust to that game it's just a thing of willingness I think and the Leafs just need to get there like they're easily the like if you look at their roster of course they're the better team and and but like and by the way the regular season doesn't mean like anything like Mm. i seriously does not mean a thing to me for any sport that's interesting because one thing that's always stumped me with hockey is that the playoffs in hockey seem to be different from from the regular season more than in any other sport because 
in in basketball, I think you get certain you know superstars turning it on in the playoffs, but it's not like they don't play well during the regular season as well, and it's not like you see their record reflect their true skill in the regular season. So, what do you think it is about hockey that makes the playoffs so much different from the regular season? I think the first thing people would see is the officiating, um, and I think it's it's been in the under a microscope this year since the whole Tim Peel stuff and the the exposure of game management, even though everyone knew it was a thing. Um, but some people have theories about it's just the way players turn on their intensity. I think what you kind of see is you have certain players that, for some reason, like Sam Bennett of the Florida Panthers, you looked at his regular season numbers with like Calgary and that, and then the Panthers once he was traded. Completely different player to what he does in the playoffs because it's just their style, right? And not to mention hockey's one of those sports where it's, if you don't have good depth and your bottom six is a clown show, you're not going anywhere. And the thing is, and it, like, for example, let's look at some of the teams right now in, in the cup final. Some of them, there's two of them. If you look at Tampa, how important is that third line of Yanni Gordon, Blake Coleman? And we look at Blake Coleman's highlight reel goal last night um, that the, the playoffs cater through their game. So I think it's just that like it tightens up a bit. So there's not as much room for, I, I don't want to pick on Mitch Marner, but that's a perimeter player, right? Doesn't cater to his game. He has to adjust. So I think it's just because it just sort of caters to those depth guys. And it, it that's why, like, again, that's the thing with hockey. And everyone goes on about like, God, well, you know, that's why it's not the term of basketball. It's like a star can do so much. And we can see like, man, look at what Kawhi did for the Raptors in that. It's just the way hockey is. I don't exactly know how it goes from zero to hundred right there. Mm-hmm. But again, my, my, that's my theory. Is it just, it caters to everyone else in your lineup the way hockey is. Very interesting. Because I feel like the, the unpredictability factor in hockey is what other sports dream of. Like when you have you, basketball this year is a bit of an outlier because of the injuries. But I mean, the finals were the same two teams for four straight years. Um, football, you normally know who's going to come out on top. Baseball is kind of the same way. Hockey, like we're living proof of it right now. Montreal's in the finals. So, I mean, it's, it's just wild to me how unpredictable that sport is and how we haven't figured it out and how other sports haven't figured it out. Man, I'll tell you, it, hockey is just, you, you got to sometimes, my favorite thing is just kind of just describing what hockey is very plainly. And it's a full contact sport on ice, play the very high, fast level. You have skates on and you're shooting a rubber puck into a net. It sounds so silly. And that's what, again, like what you look at soccer in that, like that's off the top of my head, the only other sport that has a goalie. But I mean, we've seen just like a goalie goof and how much that screws up, mm-hmm. it's, right? It's just like how you don't have another sport where a puck will go off of a uh, one of the, like a stanchion or a board and it bounces to who knows where. It's just crazy, man. And, you know, you're not going to see a ball go off of a, a ref in basketball that often, but it happens all the time in hockey with refs and it leads to goals. It's legit. It's worse than a coin flip. It, I don't, it's like Jenga almost. Like, I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but uh, it's, it's, it's frustrating in hockey. But also, yeah, like you said, if you're, if you're more like a casual fan, you're like, what's going to happen in the NHL playoffs? Yeah. I mean, we'll look at the playoffs. We've had sweeps. We've had tons of game sevens. We've had massive upsets. It's just what makes hockey so fun, especially the playoffs, man. I think Jenga like really speaks for the volatility of hockey, like that we've been talking about. It's just you really never know what's gonna happen between playoff hockey and regular season hockey. It's just two different games mm-hmm. at that point. Cause I, I got the bracket up right now and 
like if you would tell me on the surface that you know the islanders would beat the bruins and then push tampa they push them to seven right they push them to seven like and then montreal to go all the way to the cup like just some of those series just on the surface just don't seem like if you would put it in the in the in the guise of other sports like it wouldn't turn out like that but hockey is just its own playoff hockey is just its own beast oh yeah oh yeah 100% like you look at like the Islanders are such a weird team because they have no stars. It's just Barzell on the rise. Yeah. But it's just, it's system and a great system takes you so far. And again, mm. you, you saw that with the Islanders and you're seeing it with Montreal. It's, it's the weirdest thing. Interesting. Interesting. Um, speaking of system and, and more like the coaching side of things with the Canadians coach coming back for game three, how do you think that's going to affect the team? I feel like it should give them a boost. Like Ducharme has, has been involved apparently, like the coaching staff, like Luke Richardson has been in contact with him. By the way, a moment, I'd just like to say what a great job Luke Richardson did. He's never been a head coach in NHL and he has to come in in the middle of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if anyone's going to have a really good outsider perspective on this, and obviously I don't mean he's, he's been the head coach all year, Ducharme. He's been around the team for a few years now, but I feel like it's different if you can just sit back away from it all and really look at what's going on. Um, he's a head coach for a reason, Ducharme. He's had success at every level he's been at. I don't think it's going to be as massive as a boost as some people think. Again, players know what they're doing. Um, if you stick to your game, like it's, it's worked for Montreal. But I think it will give them a boost in some way. I'm sure mm-hmm. it will because like, I, you've got that. Dom Ducharme is a very confident coach. Remember the famous one going into game seven against the Leafs, he said, we're going to Toronto to go to Winnipeg. Mm. That's a coach that when you, if you're a player and you see that your guy is so confident, that's the guy giving you the speech in the intermission. You're going to play harder for that guy. I think that's, that's just a testament to the whole of Montreal's coaching staff in this playoffs is, is Alex Burroughs coming in. He's been great. The players seem to love him. Ben Chirot described Luke Richardson as the guy they'd run through the wall for. And Ducharme seems to be the same way. Um, I think it's perfect timing as well after going down 2-0 in the series in a game where I thought Montreal should have won game two. But, you know, at the end, of, unpredictable playoffs. We don't know how it goes. So um, I think it's the perfect timing for him. And hopefully he'll see some of the creases and he'll iron them out. Oh, sorry. He'll iron them out. So another thing that I find really interesting, especially with Montreal and it happened uh, it happened during the leaf series was this pivot to like the youth movement that montreal has going on with paul field and suzuki and those guys you talked about it a bit on the podcast but you know we want to get it here as well ducharme and the and the and the front office deserve another shot right with how they've performed this playoffs i'll tell you this when toronto went up 3-1 in that series i started um, writing the script for a video that was going to be a post-mortem on Mark Burge event season. And game day of every game of that series afterwards, I worked on it. Um, he would have been gone. Um, apparently, he had another year in his deal. Um, but I honestly, the way that that series was going until that point, it would have been hard to see him coming back. But then again, how do you now look at a team that goes to the cup final and every move he made in the offseason worked out. Same with Dom Ducharme. Same story. He would have been gone. And everyone would have been saying, ah, Patrick Waugh coming back. <laughs> but they earned it, man. Like Now, the one X factor in all this, I think, is 
is what kind of findings there are in this Blackhawk situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Bergeron has denied knowing anything about what was going on with Aldrich in like the Blackhawk stuff in 2010, but that may be a factor. However, nothing has been proven yet, obviously. Um, but beside that, I mean, there is no way you don't bring them back. I, I think Bergeron should have gone to, should have been gone a few years ago, but they've definitely gotten another shot here. And it took Bergevin, I think it was like nine years to make the plan work. So, I mean, kudos. Jeff Molson likes him for some reason. I think, I think that's interesting because I'm going to, I'm going to compare them to another, I'm going to compare them to a basketball team, but I don't think the comparison is like fully a hundred percent makes sense, but what I don't want to see with Montreal is the Milwaukee situation. Exactly. Where, I knew you were going to say that. I knew where, you were going to say that. where you use like a playoff run as an excuse to yeah. keep the band back together. But I don't, but like you said, all the offseason moves that Bergeron made have worked out, may have not worked out in the regular season, but has now shown in playoff hockey where it counts the most uh, now has worked out. But that was just my that's just my thoughts about it. It's just like you don't want to see like one run be the um, like the end all be all of keeping like a core in a front office and uh, a coach around. But like you've said, like the the offseason moves have worked out. They've pivoted to the youth movement a bit and playing the young guys, a little more speed, a little more finesse, a little more um, uh, just a different game from the older core that this team has. So it's an interesting dichotomy, in my opinion. So it's like blending both kind of styles together. You're, you're totally right. Um, it, it's that perfect mix. And I think people have been, have been talking about it all playoffs. Um, apparently, uh, Elliot Friedman, who for the, anyone who may not be aware, is basically the woge of hockey. Like he's the insider. Well, now that Bob McKenzie sort of semi-retired. He kind of mentioned on the 31 Thoughts podcast that apparently it was either the past summer or the one before, um, Montreal were in the midst of this sort of retool. You know, they just drafted Jesperi Kakanyemi, they trade Max Pacioretty, they bring in Nick Suzuki. Um, and there was this sort of retool, what are we going to do now? Um, and apparently Shea Weber and Carey Price, who a few summers ago, there was also an athletic piece by Arpen Basu about how they were – their years are going down. They need to win. Um, and that may have prompted Bergevin to make the moves that he did. Um, and then all of a sudden, you bring in Tyler Toffoli, who, hello, Canucks fans. Thank you so much. I'm enjoying him and I love him. He's been lights out. You look at Jake Allen. Man, Carey Price isn't doing what he was doing right now if Jake Allen was not in the, you know, what not was not doing what he was doing in the regular season and carrying the load at the end of the year. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Nick Suzuki has just been incredible. There are so many comparisons to Patrice Bergeron. I'm not going to say Suzuki is going to be the best two-way player of all time. but what? He, and I thought that to Foley, Suzuki, Caulfield line, I didn't even mean to put them all together into that lead-up. What a great transition. I did not think – sorry, I thought they were incredible last night. They were having so many great looks. And Cole Caulfield, holy cow. He, in this playoff run, has scored more big goals than Max Pacioretty ever did in his entire time in Montreal. Like, you want to talk about difference makers and that blend of, like, the old wily mountain mountain men vets on the back end and the stalwart and Carey Price in net. And then you just have this young energizer bunny scoring at will and just being this 
beacon of joy to the fan base. It's, it's incredible, man. He's been such a joy. 15th overall. What a steal. What a steal. What a, what a transition there too. I want to give you, I want to give you props that that's what you get when you have an elite podcaster as a guest. So that far. I want, I want to transition to the Stanley cup finals now. And the first thing I want to talk about is this goalie battle we have going on. What yes. are, so what are your thoughts on that right now with, um, with price and vast, vast right? Yeah. Um, Make sure I got the pronouncing, making sure yeah. I got the pronunciation down. Because there's like a KY at the end, and it's yeah. rough. Never quite know. Um, yeah, no, Vasilevsky is. So every year the NHL players do a, do a poll about, you know, who's the best at this, 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 this. And this is the first year in like five, six years it wasn't Carey Price. It was Andre Vasilevsky. Um, Vasilevsky is like the next guy. Well, he has been for a couple of years, actually. Um He's got a Vesna trophy. I think he should have won it this year, but Marc-Andre Fleury did. It's my opinion. Um, last year in the playoff, you know, Alex made a very good point on the podcast yesterday. I'm going to steal it. Uh, he said that last year in the playoffs, when the Flyers eliminated the Canadians, um, the moment that was captured really, really well in the handshake line was Carter Hart and Carey Price. Um, Canadians goalies of past and present. Two guys you could see being on the Olympic roster next year. Um, well, if Carter Hart plays a little better than he did this year. Um, yeah. And there was that sort of phrasing of this is the passing of the torch moment. What Alex pointed out is, no, this is this series is. You have the two best goalies in the world right now. And listen, if they win, Tampa, I mean, Vasilevsky takes the crown. I couldn't even say that Price is the best anymore. Will Baldwin couldn't say it anymore. And I mean, like, that's a guy, like, listen, you talk about Laura and Will. Like, I'm talking to them, like, almost every game about this and like we're losing it for carry but you know it's funny that you if you look at the canadians run you'll look at in the first round they go up against jack campbell um who his stretch he had as the leaf starter he was incredible absolutely incredible um then you look at the second round again flurry the vesna winner robin leonard i believe the two of them won the jennings for the least amount of goals allowed and then leonard who's also a former vesna finalist and then Vasilevsky. Price has had these wicked goalie duels every single round, but now um, that Vasilevsky's been the better goalie so far. He has stoned Montreal at two goals in two games, especially last night. What was it? It was 49 shots or something for Montreal. Vasilevsky's been great. He's winning the series right now. I'm not saying he's the only reason Tampa are winning because that is an insanely talented team. But man, it's I love goalie duels. I'm a goalie guy. So I love watching it, but it is a little stressful when you see Vasilevsky just keep stoning the Habs and you're like, man, just maybe give us one here. It's almost it's not completely like this, but what you're talking about reminds me a lot of like the LeBron Raptors series where LeBron just goes off against the Raptors. And at some point you just have to like stop hating and just appreciate that like what he's doing is like all-time great stuff against your team yeah. man that's crazy i wanted i wanted to a quick side note here i had vasilevsky and flurry for fantasy this year so i was very excited about those two picks i also had two canadians do you want to guess who they are one you've already brought up sure say it again i had two canadians on my fantasy team this year as well you want to guess who they are you already brought one of them up i think you have mckinnon right no, I mean Montreal Canadiens. Oh, Montreal Canadiens. Okay. Um, I'm thinking fantasy. Who did well? Toffoli? Toffoli. Oh, okay. You got lucky. The 28 goals. Let's go. Um, 
Ooh, who else would you have had? Petrie? Oh, wow. You got them both quick. Yeah, Jeez. I had Petrie. So we're the only two producers in the regular season. So yeah. that's good. I'm happy that you did that. That's a good dis- – my buddy's got a fantasy thing, and when he started up, he's like, Adam, help me here. He's like, I need a defenseman. These are the guys available. I'm like, you got to get Jeff Petrie. And then just throws up 40 points all the time in the regular season. What a great player. And his eyes aren't bloodshot anymore, so it's not completely <laughs> terrifying to watch him play. Yeah, he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't look like a demon devil. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I had some help with my uh, fantasy team. I won't, I won't use his name, but he knows who he is. Uh, he bragged about it on the group chat once. Right. Oh, I bet he did. I bet he did. <laughs> okay, so this series is going back to Montreal for Friday. Yep. What adjustments are you looking for out of the Canadians to make this a deepened series? It's been an issue all playoffs, but they really need to figure out the face-off situations here because they lose so many face-offs. Um, and then they were, sorry, the, the, uh, every opponent they seem to have had takes advantage of Montreal's lack of talent down, not, so not down the middle, but in the face-off dot. And then they just go off these wicked set plays off the draw. Um, Montreal and four, like, of course, you have a guy like Phil Deneau who's a two-way wizard and is a great face-off player. However, you look at the rest of their centermen, Eric Stahl, who has been in the league forever, is a career 49% on the face-off dot. And you have Suzuki and Kakanyemi, who are just young centermen. Um, you don't come into the NHL and win face-offs. You have to get the reps in. That's always been a big thing. As well, you got to just clean up your game in the neutral zone. There's been way too many neutral zone turnovers, and Tampa just capitalize on that stuff. They're, they're just – Tampa are easily – like this iteration in last seasons are like the most complete hockey team I've ever seen, without a question. You can't give them an ounce of room, ounce of room, an inch of room. You know what I mean? Because they're going to capitalize on it. Um, you continue to play your game because I think in game two, you saw st- game one was a wash. Like we, we don't talk about game one was a mess. You don't talk about that. That was terrible. But game two, you started seeing Montreal weren't allowing Tampa to do as much as they want. It was frustrating Tampa Bay. Like Montreal were doing the entirety of the way to the Matthews line, to the Mark Stone line, to the, I almost said Mark Scheifele, but he got suspended because he's an idiot, um, to the Blake Wheeler line. Another big thing that's going to help is a big story in game one was um, was Lightning head coach's John Cooper's ability to keep the Braden point line away from Phil Deneau. Um, Phil Deneau, who kept Matthews to one goal, Marner didn't have one, Mark Stone didn't have a goal, Pacioretty had one. Um Going back to Montreal, they're going, they're going to have last change. And sometimes you can kind of laugh that off. But if you're the Cinderella team and you rely so heavily on those matchups, Montreal need, need to make sure Phil Deneau is staple to Braden Point and Kucherov in that. That's the biggest thing because Kucherov too, what a monster that man is. But, and then again, you have to keep going on your penalty kill because I believe they've only allowed a single power play goal in this series. I think it was the first one since the first round against um, Toronto, actually. You got to keep taking those lanes away, too, because Tampa Bay, their power play is just uh, normally a big problem against the Leafs was, or for the Leafs was, once you eliminated Austin Matthews, there wasn't a a shooting threat. So the problem with Tampa Bay, however, is if you take away Nikita Kucherov, it's like, okay, there's Braden Point in the bumper. You try and take away Braden Point. Well, there's Steven Stamkos in the OV spot. And then if those guys aren't going to shoot in their prime opportunities, they're going to pass it to the next guy. And it's, it's, ter- it's so stressful to watch because every guy is a shooting threat. 
Um, not to mention, we don't know what's happening for Churi Lekin, who left the game last night after I thought was a completely dirty play by Mikhail Sergachev. Um, Lekin is one of their most important penalty killers. And I don't know what's up with him, his health-wise. Jake Evans came back for game one, and then the next day had a non-contact jersey on. So um, I'm going a bit off your question there, but it's just – it's a bit of a cliche, but you have to keep following your process and what you started to do in game two, because this is not a series Montreal was going to win in five or six. They have, this is not a marathon. Sorry. It is a marathon, not a sprint. So just pick up where you left off and enjoy your home fans. Because even if it's only 3,500 in the bell center, it's louder than a lot of buildings at full capacity. And by the way, if I may, I hate the Quebec government because you can have a giant crowd outside, but we can't allow half capacity at the Bell Center. I don't know who made that decision, but, you know, you do you. You do you. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to stay away from uh, Quebec government decisions on this podcast. But, you know, very, very, very astute point. You would love to see more uh, fans in the Bell Center. Well, I was just going to say when we were talking about Vasilevsky, how you feel watching him is how we felt watching Carey Price in round one because that, that feeling of helplessness that you described was exactly how I was feeling at the time, just seeing Carey Price just wall up in front of the net. Like, he just looked big. Like, he looked like he just took the entire net up and there was just nowhere to shoot. And so I feel your pain on that one. I'll tell you, Trevor, you know what? Carey Price's positioning has always been, like, amazing, right? That's, like, a staple of his game. Mm-hmm. Um it's not even just this playoffs. I know how people feel because um, Carey Price has been Carey Price for a long time. And, you know, you, you get a lot of relief being a fan. of. I remember the year, the 14-15 season when he won the heart. I remember sometimes when the puck would come into Montreal's defensive zone, I wouldn't watch the play. I would just watch Carey Price. I'm like, okay, what's he going to do here? Um, how easy is he going to make this save? So yeah, watching Vasilevsky is like, I'm getting so sick of this, but then I kind of stopped myself mid-sense. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we were kind of due for this to happen. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna... It's happened every round too. Like Campbell had some great games. Hellebuck tried, but the Jets were just a trash heap. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, man, it's, it's, a, it's a tough scene right now. The other thing I wanted to ask you about was Joel Armia because I know there was like – Something about him taking like a private jet and he like made it there on time, but then he like couldn't play or something. What's going on with that? First off, Joel Armia has had such a rough, I think he had a pair of concussions. He was on COVID protocol earlier in the year. I don't know. I think he did have COVID. I think Bergevin confirmed it. So he was put back onto the protocol list. Um, and then for some reason, I don't know if they haven't, Montreal are a team that don't really tell you a lot. Um, yeah. a lot comes up. So anyway, he was, I guess he must've been tested again. And he was, he was, everything was fine. He was negative. He was okay. So what they did is they got him on a private plane to get him over. And so he was a game time decision for a few days. Like they knew once they were going to get him over, he was fine to go like COVID wise, he was healthy. However, Luke Richardson ended up making the decision that because he wasn't, he had missed a few days of practice and skating in that because of the protocol um, that instead they went with Jake Evans, which would have been Evans's. Now the problem with that is, has Evans been skating? Yes, but you got to remember, excuse me, this is his first game back since his concussion. Mm. And now that again, he's often non-contact. It's a bit like, Oh, maybe he should not have come back. So it was just a thing of they rushed to get him there as an option. 
But then it's kind of like, well, why did you rush him if he wasn't going to be able to practice? And that's the reason you brought him out is because he wasn't practicing. I, it's, it was weird, but I guess they just wanted to have him there because of how well that fourth line has been working. But yeah, it was just the thing of they had him ready. He was okay to go. They flew him over, but they just didn't like how he wasn't practicing. Um, it's, it's very strange, but, you know, it's also really weird that if he was tested positive and they were allowing him to come, why Dom Ducharme was not allowed to? Because I believe mm. he tested po- uh, negative now for COVID. Sorry, I'm losing it here. Um, but yeah, it was really, really weird. Yeah, that was an interesting situation. I remember just seeing a couple notes on that just before the game. Um, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is the scenes in Montreal with like the the crowds outside and then like flipping over the cars and setting stuff on fire, man. What's going on with that? Because I know I know Montreal as like a city has a has a long established history of hockey riots. I'm just wondering, what do you think the scene's gonna be like if they pull off this comeback? Okay, first off, we're not Vancouver bad. Yeah, fair um, enough. And, and to be fair, um, blame the commissioner back in the Richard days for those riots. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, shout out to the, the freaking Maurice Richard references here. Um, so I live across the street from the Bell Center. Um, so what's really funny is if I don't blast my volume and like have headphones on, I hear for some reason the crowd's video feed is like five seconds ahead of mine. So I have to kind of drown them out. But um, anytime Montreal score, I just kind of open the sliding door. And it's like, okay, let's listen to the crowd here. Um, obviously, you don't want to go down to that massacre. I'm not fully vaccinated, so I'm not taking the risk. But, man, it's been insane. It's honestly been – when you imagine – like some of the best stuff about if you see the Leafs in the playoffs and even – I should probably instead say when the Raptors won and you saw Jurassic Park. That was some of the best visuals I've ever seen in sports – it's been incredible. Like after normally after every win, I just go down and I, I stay outside my building and just kind of observe everything. And you've got fireworks, you got firecrackers, you've got, I think after they had beat Vegas, someone with Italian flags on their car celebrating the Euros, obviously just drove right down Drummond, which is the street I'm on that goes directly in front of the bell center, just drove in the middle of the game, people jumping on his car. It was on Jean Baptiste day. So there's also people with their Quebec flag, their Quebec flags twirling that around shirtless. Yeah, someone was trying to burn down a tree. Um, that was kind of weird. They tried to pull out a one of those you can't turn here signs, which was a little silly. But it's been incredible, man. I mean, this is the stuff you love about sports, is just like the euphoria of it. And you see it with this, you know what? Montreal is the hockey city to me. Um, hockey started in Montreal. They're the oldest team in the league, obviously. They're older than the NHL itself. Um, there's just a certain pristine in being a Montreal Canadian. And like the, the fans are in a good way arrogant about it. That's why it's such a very, it's a very critical and high pressure city for hockey. It's because they expect the world. One time I was at a game against the Panthers and I think Florida were up two nothing. And in the second, they just imploded. I think Montreal ended up scoring. I think it was a five, two final score. And next to me at this game was just this older gentleman who clearly had seen the glory days of the Montreal Canadiens. And naturally, whenever Montreal scored, I'm losing it. Um, this guy just doesn't even smile. Until the final buzzer, the game is over, and he cracks this smile, stands up, and applauds the team. Like, that's just the aura of this team. 
And the city have just reflected it. I mean, I'm happy as a fan. I'm happy as a Montrealer to be able to experience this. Like, I'm, I'm so grateful and blessed by it. Like, the team are just great. I love them. Um, it's wild, man. It's wild. Um, again, it's kind of bad when, like, it's like you got to get the police in and they start tear gassing everyone. <laughs> but um, hopefully it's not 2011 bad if something bad happens in the series. But, yeah, you know. I feel you. This is, this is just something that we've talked about before about pressure and, and hockey markets and environments. And I think Toronto, I, I wouldn't say it's at Montreal levels, but I'd say it's probably second in terms of, in terms of pressure in, in a market for a hockey team. Yeah. I'm just wondering if you think that a team like Toronto with skill guys, right, does, that, does the pressure affect them differently than a team like Montreal that, you know, has skill guys, but younger guys who maybe don't know better, and also a lot of like grinders and like like guys who whose role doesn't necessarily rely on scoring goals. Do you think pressure affects a team like Toronto differently than a team like Montreal? Um, it's kind of weird because you see Jonathan Druin is a skill guy in Montreal who wasn't scoring. And funny enough, he he's taken it really really bad. Like he stepped away. He hasn't been there for the playoffs. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and like he talked about the pressures there being a French Canadian in Montreal. Um, look at Pacioretty and what happened to him there. Wasn't scoring goals. I think it's what the thing is, those skill guys, those goal scorers are always in the, the spotlight. They're the guys getting the money. And I think the big problem you have nowadays, especially in hockey with the, with the way their salary cap works, is the moment you have the big guy making that X amount of money. They're the ones, it doesn't matter what city you're in. Um, those are your number one targets for some fans, unfortunately. Um, so I'm not exactly, I don't think it's, I think even in, the thing with Montreal is you get it in two languages. Um, and there's like, like I don't want to say exactly TMZ kind of stuff, but there, there, there are those, those kind of crappy outlets you would kind of get, the gossip ones about Montreal. Um, I just think with, with Toronto, which is that much kind of worse because you have sports in TSN that are the, the media outlets in Canada, right? That are also there. I think they're both as bad, but, and what you got to realize about adding on to like the pressure of Marner and Matthews would get, again, we all remember the Mitch Marner saga and that contract. And that has really hit his reputation. So mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think it's really, it would be one's play style. It's the results. Zach Hyman's a grinder, but he played his heart out. Um, if Marner had maybe, I'm not saying he didn't try, but again, if that guy goes to the net every now and again, you maybe give him more of a benefit of the doubt is, is all I'll say. If that answers your question. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we've got a couple of quick little questions left and then, uh, can wrap this up but one this idea has been floating around it's been pretty prominent on twitter i'm sure you've seen it it's this concept of a canadian team winning with the leafs out as a montreal fan but also just as a canadian how do you feel about that dumb stupid get out of here no i don't here's what i kind of love i want you to imagine that the flyers lose in the playoffs and Pittsburgh are left because Pennsylvania. Imagine you're a Flyers fan rooting for the Pink. No, it's not how it works. It's dumb. It's so stupid. No one roots for your country. If it's the Olympics, sure. I'm not going to root for the Leafs ever in my life. Get out of here. Yeah. Oh, it's just stupid. I, so I never understood. I never understand that argument. And it's a purely Canadian argument too, which I don't get. 
And I think it just mainly just has to come from that a Canadian team has not won the cup since, was it 92, 93? So, 93. 93. Shout out to the, shout out to Canadians for winning that. But like, that's my whole thing. It's just like, I don't, I don't understand it. Because this is the, like I said, this is the only country where it happens, where it's like, guys, we got to root for the Canadian team in the playoffs because we're outmatched by uh, the Americans now. Little brother syndrome. The last thing that I have, and Trevor, you want to add something, you can go ahead. Um, what are your, what's your prediction for this series? Um, Putting you on the spot. Habs in seven, I believe. Um, but they're not going to win unless it goes seven. It's just, I don't see it happening. I, I rate the confidence. I rate the confidence. I feel like just to add on to, to Donald's last question, like if the turntables, right, you and it was Leafs and Lightning in the finals, you wouldn't be hoping for the Leafs, am I right? No, of course not. Exactly. No. So, I mean, like if you're trying to build up this rivalry, which they were trying to build up when the Leafs and, and Canadians were playing, exactly, you yeah. can't just turn it back around when the finals start and say we're all supposed to hope for the Canadians now. It's obviously it wasn't done on purpose, but imagine rooting for the team that accidentally gave your your captain the concussion. Yeah. Yeah. No, not yeah. at all. Get out of here. I mean, you can light up your landmarks if you want. That would, I'll tell you, like seeing the CN Tower is just the funniest thing. Let's let the past like just get out of here. Like it's not happening. No one does that. It's it's different again. Another point Alex made to me was was if it's the Jays and the Raptors, it's different. They're the only Canadian team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, the moment if the NBA ever expanded to Montreal, the Raptors can take a hike as far as I'm concerned. Sure. I think that I think that's totally fair. My yeah. uncle lived in BC when the Grizzlies were there, and he still can't fully like 100% support the Raptors. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry your team left. But that's but that's the difference that the Canadian, if the Expos come back to Montreal, there's no way in hell you're supporting the Blue Jays. What do you think Jets fans did when Winnipeg left? Like until now, I see Jets fans our age now. I'm like, how? Mm. Were, were you, you a Coyotes su- fan? Who were like, you supporting? Because you yeah, were not supporting the Thrashers. It's like Vegas fans. I'm like, okay, if you're from Vegas, I get it. But how else? Like I saw mm. this kid, like this six-year-old kid in Walmart around like Orangeville a couple of years ago. Don't ask why I was in Orangeville. And I'm just like, how? How did this happen? They have glitter on their jerseys, bro. That's how it happens. Man, those gold jerseys are, are <laughs> terrible. Like, it's so Vegas and tacky. Like, the gold helmets, yeah. too, are like, get out of here. Yeah, the the, yeah. the Golden Knight itself, like that mascot when they opened up, uh, when their first game there, that was just terrible. But I will tell you this. I'm not a fan, but I kind of like what the Kraken are doing, like with their whole scheme and, like, all their colors and what they're going for. It's so nice, eh? I kind of like it. Trevor, gives me Tennessee Titans vibes. Yeah, I rate the Kraken. I'm all about the Kraken. I might have to jump on the Kraken. Mate, hey, if the Kraken win a playoff series before the Leafs, I'll be a Kraken fan. There, there you go. I said it. I'll, I'll switch allegiances to the Kraken if they win a playoff series before the Leafs. You can't, you can't cut the band. You can't cut the rubber band, man. You can't. You got to hang in there. I, yeah, they're testing me. They're testing me. Yeah, but yeah, that, that's what makes it all the sweeter at the end, man. I got a buddy who's a Caps fan, right? And, uh, oh like, God. obviously, he, he sees second-round exit, second-round exit. Sidney Crosby handing them their butts on the silver platter. And then they won it. And that was, I, I could, that's what I, I would love to know is what it's like. And you guys know what the Raptors. What, how do you describe it when your team does it? 
I'm not going to say it because I'm not jinxing it, but when they do the thing, just the mm -hmm. euphoria mm -hmm. must be insane. Well, I can say, because we were talking about it a little bit before we started recording, it's, it's just catharsis in its purest form where it's like all this pressure and stress that you're building up watching it is finally released. And I'll be honest, when the Raptors won, I was at a loss for words. I did not know what to say and how to react. I was like, the team that I had watched, playoff failure after playoff failure, LeBron, you know, just rubbing the ball in his hands and then shooting the step back fadeaway against Serge, killing the Raptors and fadeaways over OG. And then to watch him bring this mercenary in and just like, kill the competition i couldn't i i couldn't explain it but it was it was gonna sound a little sad but i don't think it's sad just considering how long i've supported this team it was one of the happiest moments of my life just watching them win i'd cry if i was like if my team did it I, I, teared, I teared up a little bit i teared up a little bit i'm not gonna lie man i get it like it's it's emotional man like 100 percent. i've never been to a habs game when i haven't cried at like the opening video package like it's embarrassing but like man it's just that's why we love sports, man. Yeah, it's what, why, you know. it's what sports does to you. Yeah. Trevor, Trevor, you got anything else? Well, I mean, I might not be hoping for the has, but I hope you get to experience that. I'm going to say that. I appreciate that, man. <laughs> That's a perfect way to end off. Adam, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, guys. You know, I think we're going to have to have both of you on two-on-one -on -one again, too. Uh, or have Donaldo back and you again, Trevor. Uh, nice to meet you, by the way, Trevor. It's Absolutely. amazing over this COVID time how many friends I've made in the program that I've never spoken to. Yeah, same, same, totally. But, hey. Um, but, yeah, no, thanks, guys. And uh, I guess I'll, I'll leave you to do the rest of your episode. Good luck. I am a fan, of course. Um, and, yeah, take it easy. Again, thank you for having me. Have a, have a great rest of your day, guys. You too, Adam. See you. Appreciate it so much. Let's talk about the NBA playoffs. Trevor, our Valley Boys made it. Valley Boys, let's go. Valley Boys made it to the finals, defeating the Clippers in Staples Center, little Chris Paul revenge game, and I have booked their ticket mm. to the NBA finals. Second mm. weekend where of where we made that, that joke. Before? Where have I heard that before? Um... <laughs> No, that was great last night. I'm so happy for Chris Paul. Um, sucks that Patrick Beverly tried to ruin his day, but, you know, that's what he does. Can, can we, can, um, before, before we, like, go into this, like, game, can we talk about Patrick Beverly for a second? Honestly, please, please. I So, at some point, I was a Patrick Beverly fan, and, I, be and I believed in, like, you know, how hard he had worked, like, doing dunk contests in the Ukrainian League and working his ass off. He went to Arkansas. What the what is he doing on the court? <laughs> I almost I almost slipped there. You almost heard that, but what yeah. is he doing? What is he doing on the court? Man, Just I, his fouls, how he acts. Like I've never seen there there have always been people who have not liked Patrick Beverly, like from the Russ incident. You know, that's totally fair. But even then, some people, you know what, like let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Like, you know, you never know. But just the two times, what happened last game and the whole mocking the foul in game five after um, after uh, Chris Paul like sold the shot a little bit, but Patrick Beverly was like underneath him and then him going down the court, mocking the foul. I don't want to say like, who do you think you are and know your place? 
but because that's rude and that's like that's unnecessary but what what are you getting from that what what are you gaining from doing that he needs to just tone it down just take it down like four notches like i there's there's good defense and then there's like faux good defense which is what he plays like he's not like as much as we want to say patrick beverly's a good defender if he's not able to stay in the game is he a good defender or is he just an over-the-top defender i feel like he thinks that he's like from a different era and like built different or whatever but even back in the day this is just stupid like it's just dumb you can't just shove a guy two-hand shove a guy in the back especially a 16-year vet like Chris Paul. It's just ridiculous. I thought I thought I thought the Suns should have thrown hands at him at that point. Like they like Aiton and Booker like ran up to him and I'm glad they didn't cuz then they'd probably be suspended for the finals. But get mm-hmm. like I don't know who on that team. Someone uh, just, Jay Crowder. Crowder. Jay Crowder. No, 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 no. We can't lose Jay Crowder. We can't we, we need him. We uh, Tory like, Tory Craig. Tory Craig. Tory Craig had to do it. It was Tory Craig's role to knock out Patrick Beverly after that. that that's his role. I I say Jay Crowder still because Jay he's important, but like something Jay Crowder would do, he he'd pull up, he'd square up. Yeah. I know, but um, what just an all time great performance from Chris Paul last night? Forty one points, eight assists, only paid thirty five minutes too. So yeah. What a just bonkers performance. And the best part that got me is that it happened in Staples Center. Yeah. Yeah. In front of Balmer, too. Like, that yep. had to feel good. And Lil Wayne was there as well, and he was on the court. Just, like, I'm so happy for Chris Paul, and I'm so happy for the Suns team because they're just so likable. I like every dude who plays significant minutes for them. They just play hard. They play right. They play great on defense. Mm-hmm. Booker is amazing. Paul is amazing. Aiton has been stellar all playoffs. Yeah. He has not had a bad game. They're deep. They've kind of shortened the rotation like a little bit, but this team just makes sense. And now they're going to get a couple days off, which mm-hmm. is the most important thing that because this Bucks, we'll, we'll get into the Bucks Hawks series, but this is going to go for a little bit as well. Yeah. So they're going to have time to rest and recuperate. And I'm so happy for them. And I don't want to jump the gun here, but I would feel pretty comfortable given what's going on with Bucks Hawks with both of those teams, I feel pretty comfortable with picking the Suns team to win the whole thing. Yeah. And to the multiple Phoenix Suns players listening to the podcast right now, don't go anywhere. Stay home during this week. Do not jeopardize this for Chris Paul, man. Don't do it. But absolutely, um, with the Bucks Hawks series, that, that's going to go away. And I think it's kind of like, it's a weird one, man. Like if, if we lose... Trey Young and Giannis from this series. I don't I don't know who wins. Who wins if Trey Young and Giannis don't play? I probably still lean the Hawks. Mm. I probably still lean the Hawks because we saw their depth uh in game four without Trey and how good Lou Will was and their spacing and their shooting. Cam Reddish looked pretty good as well in his first kind of return to action. He's been out since like February, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. They just when when Atlanta signed everyone. Everyone was like, they're jumping the gun a year because mm-hmm. we haven't seen like what Trey can do with all of these young guys. And the argument was that like you signed Gallo and you signed Rondo and Chris Dunn and all these guys, it's going to take away from the young guys minutes like Herter 
and DeAndre Hunter, who's obviously hurt, and Bogdanovich. But Bogdanovich kind of fill, fills in like the young core timeline, but he was a free agent acquisition. Mm-hmm. But somehow, and I have to give Atlanta credit for this, they were able to maximize the talent on the roster that they signed, like Gallo, not Rondo, but Lou Will. But like to get that trade going, they were able to like use the vets in an optimal way without taking away the development of like your herders and your hunters and your Collins and your Capellas and your Congrus. Like that makes sense. And the and the Hawks deserve a lot of credit for that. I just lean the Hawks because I think they're the more deep, well-balanced team. But I think Milwaukee, it's because Milwaukee's, I think Milwaukee, if Giannis and, if Giannis and Trey are young, uh, Trey Young are out. Middleton and Drew Holiday are the next two best players in this series. And mm-hmm. both of them have had big question marks this playoffs. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's why I can't pick them. People, I was talking to a friend of ours and he was like, he would pick Collins over Holiday. And I can't say that's wrong, but I still want to give Drew Holiday the benefit of the doubt and the credit that he deserves because he was great this regular season, but he has not been the Drew Holiday they expected this playoffs. Mm-hmm. My, my entire concept of the series is messed up because I didn't watch the game last game and I came downstairs and I saw that TNT graphic that was wrong that said the Bucks had won. So I was like, like my, like, I keep thinking it's three one or yeah, three one for the bucks and i'm like no it's 2-2 two, two. like i have to keep reminding myself but it's whack but yeah if, if Giannis doesn't play i think i lean hawks too but you ready for this transition speaking of Giannis's brother costas played for greece against team canada in their olympic qualifying tournament in victoria canada got the win canada also beat china and they are on to the semi-finals of that tournament are we going to the olympics uh yes yeah. yay Yes, yes, we're going to the Olympics. We got to beat Turkey. Six. You don't want to, you don't want, you don't want to overlook uh, any opponents or anything like that. But okay, let's let's recap really quickly. That Greece game was looking a little sketch. Not gonna lie, Greece looked pretty good. Uh, they have some NBA talent. Uh, shout out to Giorgio's Papiannis, thirteenth pick overall with Sacramento. Bet they're kicking themselves in the butt not having him anymore because he looked kind of nice. Um, yeah, last night they demolished China like it was nothing. That was crazy because China's usually pretty strong. They always got, mm-hmm. they always feel a great Olympic team. But honestly, during that Greek game, I was a little sketched out, was a little worried. Uh, spacing was not looking amazing. But RJ Barrett and Andrew Wiggins have come to play, and I'm happy to see it. I really am. Yeah, me too. I really, I have a weird thing that I really want us to go to the Olympics. I don't know why especially because I said I wasn't going to watch the Olympics this year to like multiple people, but <laughs> like, man, I really, I, I don't know. I want to see us in the Olympics mainly just because basketball is going to end soon. And I want to have some basketball to watch that I care about, but yeah, I, I hope we get there. I also think it's kind of crazy that we're hosting this tournament in Canada and there's fans. Like, that's kind I of think... weird to me. Yeah. There's fans in Victoria. Like it's, it's, and, and there's so, like, we're welcoming all these different athletes from around the world. It's, it's a little weird to me, especially considering some of our other decisions, mm-hmm. um, such as not, you know, allowing the Jays to play here and whatnot. But, yeah, that's, that's a different topic for another day. Uh, speaking of international people traveling all over the world, the Euro still continuing. There are some really crazy games in between this and last podcast. France is out. Shocking loss to Switzerland on penalties. 
England beat Germany. They're now a heavy favorite. And we have Belgium and Italy to look forward to next week. What were your thoughts on the France game? France, France. Okay, so uh, I was disappointed. I was disappointed that they lost. I'm sure you were disappointed that they lost and you yeah. picked France, right? My yeah. Bel- Belgium's still in, so I'm still hey. – I, I still got my stuff going on. But uh, Mbappe missing that uh, penalty was obviously the death knell for them. Couldn't mm. come back from that. Yeah, Shot. it was. We it was we like, we cl- I clown I clown Switzerland. It's like they don't belong here, but then they ended up belonging there, and mm. it worked out for them. I was that was that was probably the best game of the tournament, in my opinion. Just how back and forth that was. I you got it. You got to give credit where credit is due. Switzerland came out and they did not give up. They did not quit. Mm. They played to the end, like all the sports cliches you want to throw in the book they did that and they made it to the quarterfinal at this point so you know you have to tip your cap to them yeah yeah great job by switzerland i didn't didn't see that coming at all i think france had a 3-1 lead with like 10 minutes left i think think switzerland switzerland came back and won that uh i think a similar thing happened in the spain croatia game too and spain won that as well so that was that was crazy crazy week of play uh, I'm really looking forward to the semis. I think I think there's four great matchups. I think I think Belgium Italy is obviously the top one. I think that one could really go either way. But I'm I think I'm pulling for Belgium in that one, and I think Belgium will probably win. Uh, Czech Republic Denmark is going to be just Denmark's like the Cinderella team of the tournament. Going to be exciting to see them play against Patrick Schick, who I think has the he's one goal behind Ronaldo right now for mm-hmm. Golden Boot in the tournament, so he needs another goal. Um, you got England, Ukraine. Interesting. That's all I'm gonna say. Interesting. Interesting. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna predict Ukraine. But I'm thinking, the one thing Ukraine can do is score. They've scored against every team that they've played. They dropped two on the Netherlands and probably should have won that game. Um, they can put the ball in the back of the net, no question about it. So, I think I think they're at least gonna score against England and make it interesting. And then on the other side, you got Spain, Switzerland, which is a rematch of. 2010 2010's world cup spain won that world cup the only team they lost to was switzerland in the group stage one nothing so there's a little bit of history there um that will certainly be interesting all right let's uh let's run through the top six we got three minutes let's do it all right uh yeah let's run through top six last thing i wanted to say just so i could get that out there and just so my brother can hear that dylan the netherlands went out really sad they went, they went out really sad. I'm it sorry. It was pretty sad. It's yeah. pretty sad. I'm sorry. All right, let's run through top six. We had a Blue Jays trade in between the last two podcasts. Will we have another trade to talk about next week? My opinion is there will not be a trade because they want to see enough. what they have with Simba. Uh, obviously, Dickerson is not going to be back. I think he's out for two to three weeks, I believe. Something mm-hmm. like that. So I think they're just going to see what they have and uh, tinker with the rotation a little bit, see what they get from Simba, and then go from there interesting okay will tfc break the stretch of sadness against dc united uh quick story the last sporting event i believe i went to before covid actually that's not true but the last soccer game i went to before covid was a tfc playoff game against dc united tfc won 5-1 in extra time there's no reason to say why tfc are going to beat dc united this week they have so Taldo's not coming back altador is not walking through that door but I'm taking TFC over DC United just on history. 
Okay, number three, are the Canadians simply overmatched against the Lightning? Uh, no, we have to respect the Canadians like they've made it this far. I don't think they made it this far to go this far. Uh, they're obviously in it. The series does not start until the home team loses, but I agree with Adam when he said that this series has to go seven for the Canadians to win. They're not going to win in six. They're not going to win in five. Obviously, they can't win in five anymore because they're down to nothing. But, uh, yeah, they got to get both games, obviously, in Montreal uh, and just keep pushing it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Who wins between Belgium and Italy? Belgium. Easy money. Will Canada basketball qualify for the Olympics? Yes. Can the Blue Jays offense keep up this pace? Yes. And that does it for this episode of the Bremner Boulevard Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening. Our Zoom is about to run out. Uh, Great podcast. We'll see you here next week. Thank you for listening. Enjoy yourselves, everyone.